We've had a, a ball here at the Bell Theater past couple hours watching some rehearsals. Uh, we'll talk about some upcoming shows here in a little bit, but I uh, just want to kind of start off. I want to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name's Tim Gooden. I was born and raised here in Bell County. Uh, grew up down on Greasy Creek, Highway 92. Um, went to Pineville from first grade till I graduated. Then uh, ended up going to Union College for a little while and graduated from there. And then went to work in the coal mines and then worked there till I couldn't. Till they <laughs> worked there till they wouldn't have me no more. Then sold insurance for a year and that was not a good job for me. I am not a salesman in the least little bit, so. Had an opportunity to go to work down in sand and gravel business down in Alabama. Went down there for a while and still down there and enjoying it. But it seems like we uh, we travel back and forth quite a bit now, a lot more than we used to <laughs> start playing music. I had family on Greasy Creek and used to hang out there quite a bit. My grandma and grandpa lived in a couple of rental houses up and down the creek there. And so I always enjoyed spending time. We... We, we used to go down, there was one, I can't remember the road, uh, back in the holler there. Um, my mama and papa, they rented a house down there in the bottoms there for a couple years. It was an old house, and we had a ball playing there, and then uh, they moved on up the road. Every, every time I say they, they lived right past the sawmill, I get, what sawmill? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, they, they lived up on the hill there. Uh, getting closer toward Whitley County, and uh, I loved it. So just kind of talk a little bit about life growing up on Greasy Creek. That was fun. Um, we, uh, for the first part, we lived down in a place called Carroll Holler. I don't know if that's actually the name of it. I think it might be. But we was renting a house off of, uh, <coughs> off the, the guys that Dad worked for. It was uh, BRC, Billy Ray Carroll, and uh, it was his son. Terry, and we, we grew up with uh, Clay Carroll. I think he's the Bell County baseball coach now, so he was a lifelong friend. And we lived there until I was thinking maybe I was in the fourth grade. Then we ended up, Mom and Dad bought my Papa Ben Gooden's old home place, and it had been sitting empty since 1988 when Papa passed away, and Mom and Dad bought it, and we spent the next few years fixing it up, and then uh, that's where I finished growing up at. Lived there until I moved out and went to college and then, then we lived uh, lived on 119 for a little while that's where a few songs where me and Leanna first discovered we could write songs together and then uh, written off Monk Green I know people in, around this county is going to know who Monk Green is but uh, yeah man growing up there was fun we stayed in the mountains all the time you know we was I think I grew up in the last generation that didn't have cell phones and social media growing up so we got to enjoy life a little before all this other crap started started hitting everybody, so it was a good time. I loved it. I wouldn't take nothing. I wouldn't take a billion dollars to replace it with something else. I know. Uh, I know. Talking about cell phones and stuff growing up, I know. I think for me, it would have been. I'd have been in a lot more trouble if there yes. were cell phones growing up. Yeah, sure, true. Thank God everything didn't get reported back then. <laughs> <laughs> On your website, I was reading a little bit. Talk about what your mom and dad did so mom was the food service director for Pineville Independent Schools and she did that for I want to say right at 20 years and then dad he is a, a diesel mechanic for uh, now in Hamilton for the better part of my life and I think he worked there 28 years 
that's why he's he's still a mechanican and uh, my brother TJ, my middle brother TJ, he fell following his footsteps and became a footsteps <laughs> footsteps and became a mechanic. And my older brother, he was an operator, and I think he's moved into management down there in Alabama now. But uh, yeah, man, it was so we was fourth generation. Dad's third generation, I was fourth generation. Me and my brother's fourth generation coal miners. That was all we knew, and uh, it's all we wanted to do. Even when we was young, we was working. You know, Tonker toys. We had we had several pits opened up that we'd work in every day after school and during the summer. So we just got to grow up and do it and play with the big toys. My my dad's a was a coal miner he's disabled uh now he he worked for lee co and, and james river more on the leslie county end but i thought it, i think it's fascinating you know talking about going to alabama um because that that's kind of a, a, a pipeline you'll you, you see that thread through a lot of people i know when when things were slowing down and dad would get laid off that was always one of the places where he you know, would would start talking about possibly moving to. I know at one point in time we came close to moving to Alabama. I think we came close to moving out in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, doing different kind of mining and stuff. But uh, always worked out. We we stayed uh, stayed where we were. Uh, but that, I know one thing. I mean, my dad uh, was like, "You are not. You're not going in the mines. You're not." And I, you know, I kind of feel like I. You know, from my perspective, I kind of feel like I've, uh, you know, cheated the area, and I didn't put in my my due diligence in the mines. But uh, I mean, that was something from the youngest I remember my dad saying, "You are not going underground." But uh, well, I love it. You uh, know, it's and it, the 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 bad thing about coal is it's so up and down. You don't know from one week to the next if you're going, next if you're going to have a job next week when you when you come in or not. That was the that was the hard part, but as far as the job, man, I I loved it, especially where I work, man. It's like going to work at a comedy club every day. It was the time passed quickly because he was having a good time. He was working hard, but she's having a good time. And then it's a <coughs> excuse me, it's a you know it's an industry. I think that's why you know it's it's kind of held up the area for a long time, which which is not good that the area is not diversified because of it too. At the same time that. It's a it's an industry to where a man or a, or a woman who doesn't even have a high school diploma can go make seventy eighty thousand dollars a year. It's a lot of hours, but you know that's a good living, mm-hmm. and it provides for a lot. It's provided for a lot of families for a lot of years in this area. So, kind of going back a little bit, uh, elementary school, high school. What kind of extracurricular activities were you involved in? Oh man, I played. I thought I was going to be a pro football player. <laughs> Don't we all dream that? That's all I focused on. I didn't even. Play music till senior year of high school. Uh, so yeah, that's that's that was my primary focus in life was football. That's all I wanted to do. And now I'm 34 and half crippled. And so I wake up some days and it takes me 10 minutes to stand up fully upright. I'm it feeling was fun then, I guess. I'm feeling that too. Uh, now college, did I mean did you go on to play anything in college or? Um... Yeah, I played for Union. Played defensive end for uh, two years and then. The, my freshman year, I was what we called the eat, ride, and watch squad. I was good enough to dress, but not good enough to play that freshman year. I was behind an All-American and then a three-year starter to boot. So uh, I didn't get didn't get to see the game field a whole lot my freshman year. Sophomore year, got to where I was in regular rotation and getting to play quite a bit. I think it was game seven. I ended up tearing my labrum 
and then ended up having shoulder surgery. And so I was out the rest of that year, came back the next year, uh, made it all the way to the last day of camp. I wish it could have happened the first day of camp, but that way I wouldn't have had to went through the rest of it. But ended up tearing it again and having another surgery on it. So that, that pretty much ended it. So then I was just a, a student from there on out. And I was always kind of jealous because other everybody else that was in college, you know, summer break and spring break, Christmas break, they, you know, they go on trips and do things. And I go to work. <laughs> so I never did take a break. I thought that was a chance to make money. So that's what I was doing. So what, at what point, I know you kind of got on it a little bit there, but at what point did you pick up a guitar and start playing music? Senior year of high school, the summer going into my senior year of high school, I'd always had a guitar but never knew how to play it and uh, always loved singing. Uh, decided that that summer I was going to learn how to play guitar, uh, Hell or High Water, and it took me three months. I had a How to Play DVD that I learned G, C, and D off of, and I bought a chord book. And I learned E minor, which is a very, I would, I would have started out with that if I knew how easy that chord was to play. <laughs> but then uh, I learned those four chords, and then I started learning Chris Knight's It Ain't Easy Being Me. And it took me a month to learn how to play it. Then it took me another month to learn how to play and sing it at the same time. So that was, that was the first one. So by the time classes started in August of that year, I, I could play one song. <laughs> Chris Knight's one to definitely uh, a legend to, to look up to. And that's kind of that was that was my next question, but that, that my question was, what's the first song you learned how to play? So I guess I'm going to extend it. What was the second song? I don't even remember, man. I really don't. I, honestly, the well, no, that came after I graduated. Uh, I was trying to think about. I remember the next song that I remember playing pretty regular was a song called "Help Me" that a buddy of mine, David Adams, he he had wrote the first verse and the chorus, and then. Uh, and maybe the second verse, and then I, well, he had half the second verse wrote, and I finished it, and then wrote a third verse that's long forgotten now, and then put a, put a melody to it, and some music, and so that was the first song that I'd ever had a part in writing, or, you know, I didn't know you could write your own songs. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would, what would you say would be, would have been your first gig? I know exactly my first gig, it was a little place called R.S. Shaved Ice in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, it's no longer there. In fact, the Levin Amp stage is where R.S. Shaved Ice was. That's what I was thinking. And uh, me and a, a buddy of mine named Justin Griffin, we had uh, we we played some together, and, and me and my wife, she had recorded it. And we put a video up on uh, Facebook, and the guy that owned R.S. Shaved Ice reached out, and it didn't pay a dime, but uh, it was my first show, and I was nervous as a cat in a room full of rock chairs playing it. Uh, pretty sure I had to take about five shots of, of uh Southern Comfort Park got up on play, and it was for like 12 people, and 10 of them was family. <laughs> but I was so nervous. I was watching the other night, uh, the, there was a video up on Hickman Holler uh, about Tyler giving some money back to, uh, to his schools, and I remember one of the things he was saying, no gig too small. Yeah. No gig too small. Tell me about your gig in Frakes. That, that was a that was a good one. Last year? No, the one in Frakes up there was. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, what's that little store called? Uh, Hillside Market. Yeah, Hillside Market. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hit paid. It was 100 bucks, man. $100, $100. And uh, we, uh, it was me and then Ernie Hill, who was my lead guitar player, who was also the producer on the Sun Appalachia uh, EP. Uh, me and him, and then our audience was 
Leanna, Ernie's wife, Lisa, and then some guy on a four wheeler. He, he seemed to really enjoy it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Played our hearts out for two hours. <laughs> All right, we got, we got Jason Parton in here, too. Jason I spoke to on the first podcast and I thought was was interesting uh, uh, talking to Tim and Leanna uh, the other day and, and their uh, kind of excitement of, of listening to that first podcast and hearing things from Jason's perspective. So it's one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is some of those those conversations from your perspective but uh, kind of getting into, well, I guess before we even get into anything else, how did you meet Jason? Uh, well, we've known each other for a while. I don't remember exactly how we met. Do you? I don't. I just, I just remember just knowing him. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I just, I remember, that's me. I don't remember how we met, but I know back in 14 or 15, I had a band. Mostly a cover band because I don't think I only had two, maybe three originals in, and uh, you know we was playing those four-hour gigs, which I'm not a fan of, but whatever. You have you got to start somewhere, and uh, but we was playing those four-hour gigs and uh, figured out that Jason and I played rhythm, and I really I'm still not a good guitar player, but I really wasn't a good guitar player then. And I was like, hey man, you want to come play rhythm for us? And he's like, yeah. So it kind of worked out, and then I left him high and dry. As he likes to remind <laughs> me of on his guitar. And that's that's where I was. I'm sorry. Go <laughs> no, ahead. no, you're fine. No, I, I think I think the we've known each other, but I think it was Ernie that really pushed that, it, that yeah. pushed it that that got us together playing music. We we knew each other, but I don't think Tim even knew I could even pick up a guitar and and Ernie, which I'm. It's about all I can do is pick it up. But. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to hear from your perspective how, how you dropped that bomb on, on Jason about moving to Alabama. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a necessity, honestly. I, I didn't have a choice. Well, we was barely paying bills and, you know, well, we couldn't afford groceries. We, we had enough money to buy groceries for four days out of the week, and then we'd have to go eat down at Mom and Dad's for the other three nights. And uh, I had an opportunity just to – to go to Alabama and it was a set salary, so I knew what I was gonna be making when I got down there and it was a lot more than I was, which it wasn't a lot. Don't, don't take that wrong. But it was a lot more than I was guaranteed to make at this point where I was at. I was like, well, I can't pass it up. And then uh, I just, you know, me and Leanna talked it over and, and prayed on it and just came to the conclusion that's what we needed to do. So then it was uh, the tough phone calls to break the news to everybody saying, hey, you know, you want to lay it down for a while. So by this time, had you all already started writing music? Yeah, um, yeah. So we we've been married about a year, and we moved into the first house we could afford, and that was 2013, I guess. That was Monk Green's house up there on 119, and you know I was dabbling in songwriting, but didn't really didn't really do a whole lot about it. And I I'd seen Tyler was you know getting a lot of shows, and me and Tyler met few years before that at, uh, through Kane Sams who's a, like a brother to me they lived together at Lexington for a while and I seen he's having success so I thought well that maybe that's the trick if you're going to do anything good you got to have your own stuff so me and her sit around the kitchen table one night uh, drinking Southern Comfort smoking Marlboro Lights we, we could do that then it didn't hurt near as bad as it does now and uh, we sat down and wrote Nishi When I'm Sober it was the first song we ever wrote together I remember going the first night when I played with Tim I remember going over there, and it's funny he, he mentioned that song. 
went over there that night, and I, I'd heard Tim's voice, and I, I knew he had the potential to be able to sing and do whatever he wanted to. But we went over there that night, and we were practicing. He's like, this is one that I wrote, and we done miss you when, when I'm sober. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, man, this song is so good. And still, right this day, like, I have certain songs that, that have a certain meaning to them, and they mean something to me. But as far as lyrically and liking it, Miss You When I'm Sober is probably my favorite one lyrically. Um, it's just, it's so good, and, and it's about real life. I mean, it's at some point in time, everybody has went through that, and, you know, it's just, it's it's so good, man. It's weird to me people say, I like that new song, Miss You When I'm Sober. I'm like, man, that song is a decade old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and, I mean, it's, it's one... One off the new album that, I mean, it, it is uh, rip your heart out country music. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's it's all country music, but you can you can hear the pain in that one. So, and that, I, I, that was one of the things I was thinking about when I was kind of putting together some questions for this. Um, you know, and I'm trying to think of the, the right way to ask it, but, you know, Jason and I talked the other night about where your inspiration, you know, just kind of comes from observations for songwriting. Um, you know, it, how much is it real life and how much is it that just, just poetry? Uh, well, it's kind of 50-50. That's why I call the album True Stories of Flat Lies. Half of it's real true and half of it's real fake. <laughs> it's a, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I heard somebody say one time, and I don't know who or I would give them credit for it, but uh, I heard somebody say, there's songs everywhere. You just got to pay attention. And so I took that to heart. And so, I mean, it could come from a conversation. It could come from just something that somebody says. I'm like, yeah, that's a song. And Leanna's the same way. I can't tell you how many notes we got in our phones of just one-liners or just a combination of just a few words here and there and, like, and we'll sit on them sometimes. We'll sit on some of those lines for years before we ever get to writing a song. And then something else maybe will, will trigger us into saying, thinking that. And then we'll go back and look through our notes and, hey, yeah, that, that'll work. Let's use that there. It blew my mind last night. We were standing, we were at uh, Thatcher's Barbecue and Slade. And we after the show and stuff, we were hanging out with Crystal and Sean Thatcher for a little while. And Tim and Sean were talking back and forth about the coal industry and, you know, how unemployment, you know, it, you work for a little while, you get laid off, and unemployment didn't go too far and, and all that. And we were on the way home, and he started just out with his song from from just that. It was probably a, probably a five-minute conversation, and he already had part of a song rolled out of it. And, you know, and when we were coming across the Ozarks, we were – on the Steel Woods leg, and we were coming across the Ozarks. Me and him were talking about my papa, and you know, uh, I don't care. Papa, papa like smoke a lot of pot, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I told three or four stories that you know, papa things that happened with papa, and uh, just out of the blue, he just started singing this song, and, I was, and it was about my papa. He didn't even know the man, and just through those stories. He just started belting out this song, and he had voice notes of it, and you know, and it was pretty good. I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, it, but it blows my mind to see how him and Leanna can do that—just conversation—and they got a song from it. Yeah, well, I should give you fair warning. It's—I uh, I should do a 
long disclosure before we do any kind of interviews. One is I got ADHD real bad, so you could ask me a question. By the time I'm done, you'll be thinking, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> and two is careful what you say because it could become a song. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that. Um, so going back to, to that move to Alabama, I mean, at that point in time, did you, did you think that, you know, music was over? I mean, were you going to hang it up or? Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, when I moved to Alabama, my, my only goal was, uh, hey, I want to be in a VP level role by the time I'm 40 years old. That was my goal. I was straight line focused on that and then, and was there for three or four years and then. When COVID hit, I think me and Leanna got COVID, and uh, I had to do a conference call, which they told me I didn't have to be on the call, but I thought, well, if I don't do it now, I have to do it later. So I had to be on a conference call doing a P&L review and spreadsheets on stuff. And I felt like death warmed over, man. I was, I did not want to be on that call. I felt like crap. The time I got, it was like a two-hour call. When I got off, I looked at Leanna and I said, I don't care what it takes. I want to start pursuing music and because that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I said, I'm going to continue to do my job and do it the best of my ability, but I am going to work actively on becoming a full-time musician. And that's, that was kind of what kick-started me in the, in the gig, and that was in January, and then we started playing our first show of the year in May last year. You, you led into kind of where I was going next. Uh, tell me about that first call with, with Jason about managing yeah so that was in december that was after we, we gained a little bit of traction on tiktok i think i was up to 30 or 40 thousand followers and i just seen jason so it's fresh on my mind we just seen him that november at the steel woods uh, fan club i don't know what it was steel woods fan club concert uh, i seen him there and we was talking i said oh, i'm thinking about trying to do something he said you should man you got been keeping up with you and then uh so me and leanna sat around Talk, and that's that's ADHD because it was I've been thinking about it subconsciously I guess and it just came out to my head one day that that was my focus I said I'm gonna call Jason see if he wants to manage me and then she's like I, w I went back and forth on it for a couple of days and she said well just call and ask him all he can do is say no I'm like okay <laughs> so I did and he's like well let me think about it I'm like well shit <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the answer you were thinking <laughs> what are you talking about you have a plan B <laughs> You know, it kind of kind of took me by surprise because, you know, I mean, I've done good to manage to get up in the morning, you know, on my own, and you know, and, and that was a big, big thing. It had nothing to do with his abilities because, you know, like I said, I played with him. I heard his songwriting. It was phenomenal. His voice was phenomenal. I, I knew. I had every bit of uh, confidence in, in where he was going. My thing was, was my lack of confidence. Can I really do this? Can I really help him? And, you know, I told him the first conversation we had after this, I said, if I ever get to the point that I don't feel like I'm helping, I said, I'll step aside because I'll never hold you back. So that's that's kind of how, how that went. Well, I fired him every show, too, yeah. so I don't believe Yeah, if he doesn't fire me either at the beginning, middle, or end of the show, you know, I'm, I think he's mad at him. I'm going home. So. <laughs> well, I, and I, I kind of go back thinking, um, I remember when Jason – mentioned to to us in our Laurel Cove group chat you know that um, that you had reached out to him about managing him and you know we're we're all who's Tim Gibbon <laughs> well I wouldn't I wouldn't even go I, yeah I was like that but uh, and then I heard your voice and, and 
I knew everybody would know who you were, but we we're we're all amateurs. I mean, we're volunteers. We just I mean, it's friends who you know we we learn as we go. I mean, that first Laurel Cove uh, inside was I mean we all thought it was a disaster because you the deep into you know planning and you have this vision and weather <laughs> has a different idea and you know we John had booked shows for years uh, you know four wheeling and and mm -hmm. up there on the top of the mountain and you know we just I mean really we weren't even a group at, at the first one I mean, other than just kind of knowing and barely knowing each other and uh, you know Jason was the first one to really take a leap and, and you know I thought man that, that that's, that's awesome Super cool, super cool. I've got to see so many things and see a total different perspective of the music world. And, and I've, I admire the people that's been doing this for years because uh, I enjoy it. It's probably, Dad always told me, if you do something that you enjoy, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's the way I feel about this. This is, it's a job, but I enjoy it more than anything I've done, you know, so. It's been been really cool and seeing things from the other side because I'd always every time I've been in music involved was stuff we done with Laurel Cove or you know going to a show or playing you know so seeing this side of it it's a little it's a little different but it's really cool. I I, I do I remember that first first time and and just being blown away and I told told Jason the other night um, when we were chatting about different songs here and there and I I mean. My wife, we're, we're, you know, listening to every little snippet. And, I mean, I remember with tears in her eyes listening to Weather and Warren the first time. And, you know, I mean, it just, because, I mean, she felt that one. She felt like that song was written, you know, for me. Going back to the, the EP, um, you know, what what was the process there for recording that first EP? I'm stubborn as a mule, and I was determined to get something put out there. Couldn't afford to go to the studio, so we bought a MacBook on credit and went and bought a, I can't remember the microphone, it was not a microphone, went and bought it and then set it up upstairs and, and I struggled like crazy to play in time. I never played a song the same twice in a row, so it took forever to get it laid down because I did, Ernie, he was the one that was mixing it and then he wanted to master it for me, so he's like, man, we got to do the guitar separate and the vocal separate, that way I can adjust it. Man, well, it took forever. I'm gonna say it took three months, and I remember walking out every other night looking at Leanne. I said, Is this thing even going? Nobody's even gonna listen to the damn thing. Is this worth the trouble? <laughs> and then, uh, so we finally we was going to do a lot more than five songs, but I thought, Hey, I'm stopping at five. We're gonna put it out, see how it does. And then, uh, man, it, we put it out, and it's led to a lot of opportunities. And I have to say, so it was worth every penny to buy that MacBook. And, Thanks to everybody that streamed it and bought it, because ever since you know that initial investment of the microphone, basically in that computer, the music has paid for itself on everything that we want to do since. So and that's thanks to everybody that's that supported us along the way. Is that MacBook paid for now? Heck yeah, well, <laughs> that sucker's free and clear. <laughs> well, I, and you know something, one of the things John always talks about with us, and 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 I think it relates to to your music and what you're doing and and actually I think it this this quote or I don't even you know piece of advice came from uh, the 
the creators of kicking it on the creek and uh you know just people will know when you do things for the right reason you know if you do things for the right reasons people will show up and i feel like that relates to your music too i mean you know i know there's like we said before there's no gig too small there's going to be gigs where you know i know we're, we're we'll we'll sit here at the theater and there'll be a show and you know we're we think it's the biggest thing that's ever happened and you know you're begging 20 people to come through the doors and uh you know i i take that personal for the art you know i feel bad i'm like did i not do my job of promoting the show enough and uh but you know we just keep keep digging and keep clawing and 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 i feel like you know that's that that's kind of been your your thing and you know i i remember laurel cove last year uh you know big crew of people coming down to watch you every video i put up kind of like what y'all were saying earlier i mean you get those hits so i think you're you're doing things for the right reasons yeah, and last it's year was, that was on, sorry, no go ahead last year that was the first crowd that I'd ever played in front of that listened, that were there to hear the music. So it kind of it kind of threw me off. I wasn't used to that. <laughs> you know, I was like, Ugh. and I was like, am I doing something wrong? Then we get down, people cheer, like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was still rusty and I was nervous because I hadn't played a whole lot of shows at that point. I think that was like the third or fourth show since we started mm-hmm. back. And so I was still going through the stage fright thing and, and being nervous and. Not really knowing how to interact and talk to the crowd in between songs and all that stuff. So it, you know, it's been a, it's been a learning experience the, the whole past year of getting back in the swing of things and improving. Hopefully, get, trying to get better. That I mean, the, the buzz was, I mean, huge. I, I mean, that was one of the sets that I know. I mean, that that first outdoor Laurel Cove. I mean, it, people talk about Cole Chaney. Uh, that that was the big one, and and I think the same conversation prevail you know prevailed throughout that 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 your set was was very much you know akin to that Cole Chaney set the first year and and the buzz the buzz (laughs) the buzz around it was huge and start road dogging on the weekends uh and then you know I I remember when when Jason told told us about the opportunity that opened up to possibly record with uh James Barker and the food stamps, but you know, kind of talk us through, you know, what was going on and, and how you found out. Uh, well, Jason was telling me about it. Charlie. Charles Hatcher. Charles Hatcher. Um, you know, he, I, I didn't know who he was, and Jason said, that's Arlo's manager, and he said he's, he's one of the guys that's behind the Hill and Appalachia Festival, and he said, so he, he had heard Pills in Poverty from somewhere, liked the song and related to it and, you know, became a, I guess you call him kind of a fan, which I'm a, a big supporter, so I'm appreciative of that to no end, but the, Jason and him had been talking back and forth, and I didn't know, you know, how, how in-depth they were getting in the conversation, but uh, he asked Jason, well, what was what we have planned? He said, we're going to do an album at some point in the winter months, we just don't know when or how yet, and then that's when he throw it out, throw out James Barker and Jason told me about it, but I'm the kind of guy I don't get my hopes up for anything until it's there and they come to fruition. I, it, it's like it don't exist to me because I just I don't I don't want to be disappointed. So, but when Jason called, said, "Hey man, we're gonna do it," I'm like bullshit. <laughs> 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 and 
But yeah, it, it worked out. So I was like, I tickled the dance. Well, well, when James called me back and said they were going to do it, I said, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's been a couple of those moments, and you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, just in this whole journey, um, you know, even with uh, festivals and, and things. I mean, there's just you, you, you do, you don't want to get your hopes up. And, and you don't want to um, go all in because we all know the music industry's a, a bitch. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a real bitch. I think I, I think I heard Jason Spill say so he'll call me all excited about something this or that. I'm like, that's cool, man. And that's all I give him. I don't give him much because I'm not gonna let myself get too excited for something that may or may not happen. So. I get fired up. Yeah. So what was? I mean, you go to West Virginia. What was that experience like? Uh. That was uh, that was pretty neat. So I had to, for one, I had to let my boss know that hey, I'm probably gonna take off next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I, I take off a lot. I have to say, man, Wiregrass is a great company because they let me. They're pretty flexible with my schedule, and I really appreciate it. But yeah, they, so we took off in Atlanta, drove up to Kentucky that Wednesday, and then uh, we rode over to West Virginia that Thursday, and. Walked in, I was like, all right, James Barker standing right there. And then about the time we pulled in, you know, I had Rod Elkins and Jesse and, and Craig all pulling in at the same time. I was like, damn, you see them all the time on videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, man, I'm, I'm kind of awkward too, man. I've got to, I've got to warm it up here. Like it takes, it can take me three or four hours sometimes to warm up to a situation before I'm talking to people. Like that's just, I don't know, it's just how I am. But it, you know, it took a little bit. But those guys were super nice, man. They made you feel comfortable right away. And, it was cool that they bought into it. You know, they were, they they had suggestions. Hey, let's let's change the intro to this, or let's change the break to this. And to me, that's what kind of validated me, I guess, or you know, made me feel like I was validated a little bit. Cause like, hey, they're buying into it. They must like these songs a decent amount. And uh, so that was a, that was a cool experience. And then having Jesse Wills to play on it, man. Yeah, that was a that was a big deal. I sat for three days and fanboyed. Mm-hmm. I sat back there in the back, and and I mentioned to. James, we were sitting in the sound booth, and I said, man, I said, listen, I said, y'all are, every one of y'all are extremely, extremely talented musicians. I said, I'm not taking nothing away from you, but I said, I sat here and fanboyed over Jesse Wells, and they was like, hey, listen, we fanboyed every day <laughs> over Jesse Wells, so it, we get it, you know, but uh, there was nothing that he touched that day that was, or that, those few days, it was nothing short of just miraculous, man, it was great. It's like even out, like it's it, they're. I mean, they're just a good bunch of guys. I got they nothing are. bad to say about them. Like when the album released Friday, I reached out to them, just thanked them again, and you know they were all, hey, congratulations, man, enjoy the day, and you know just soak it up. And I thought that was, that was nice of them. And Rod, Rod is is a, Rod is a good dude. Yeah, he, he, man, he cracked me up the whole time we were in there, man. He just constantly going on with something. It was great. It was a great experience. Jason was talking. Um, you know, kind of taking videos and stuff, and he said, "This is just a warm up." You know, we're just, they're just warming up. But how? I mean, just kind of in that process. I mean, had they heard some of the snippets, or did you they, just come they, in they fresh? Had, they had heard a few, but yeah, and they had one or two charted out already. And uh, but man, you know, I, the, what I, the process was, I'd play through it once, and they would fiddle back and forth what they were going to do, and then they would chart it as I was playing through it. Second time we played through it together, it'd be a little bit rough. By the third time, it was dialed in, and it was usually the, 
third between the third and fifth take that we ended up keeping. It was insane, man. The which one of them was it that you done? And it was it was a hot take, man. As soon as they done it, it was just mind blowing. I mean, it just it happened and it was so perfect. And you know, I remember James, you know, hitting the the button where he could talk outside to the guys. He goes, "That's a hot take, guys!" And like, they were all just like shocked. I can't remember which one of them it, it was. was. Letters from the sailors. Yeah, it was the last. Yep. Letters from the sailors was the last song to be recorded because I didn't know if I was going to do it. We had another song in mind that we was going to record, and I didn't didn't like how it was turning out. And so we decided to, to not do it. And then uh, so we only had nine songs on it. He's like, "You got anything else?" I was like, "I have one more, but I don't know if I want to do it." And, they, and Greg Burlett was like. Well, we're here, man. You got us. Let's uh, let's lay it down. See what we do. And then I played through it once. The second time we played through it, that was just that. Once you hear on the album, that was the take. Wow. <coughs> now, what, I'm trying to think back. I've got so many of your song intros in my head. What what was the inspiration behind Letters from a Sailor? That was my papa Boyd. Uh, Boyd Good. He served in the Navy for 20 years, and he was proud of it. We was always proud of it. But uh, he passed away in 2015. Passed away, we, we found a suitcase. It was full of old pictures and letters and that my mama Ruby had saved all the years. And she passed away in 2003. So when she passed away, he kept up with it, made sure it was good. And then when we got a hold of it, it was just reading through some of the letters. That, you know, that's a dying art, I think, writing letters. But um, we read through the letters, and so that's why we say, you know, every word of the song was written by Papa. We just rearranged it and put a melody behind it. That's that's one of my that's a special one. That's one of my favorites. It puts cold chills on me it, just about every single time. I look at Lynn and hold my arm out, every hair on me standing <laughs> up. It's just it's it's something else. Uh, you may have already answered this. What what would you say is your favorite song on the album? And I love how it turned out. It, it took and every song on the album took on a whole new life when you get those guys behind it. So that was the whole project of the time, I guess, is it was just a neat experience, man, because I've been playing these songs so long by myself, and then to have that instrument, instrumentation behind it, it just, every one of them took on a whole new life, I felt like. So much depth and stuff, and it was just, it was mind-blowing to watch it. It's like watching a kid grow, man, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it was, it was so great. Well, Jason, what's your favorite song on the album? My favorite song on the album I would have to say and, and a lot of it uh, is I watched it grow I watched it from the time that it was being written watched the whole thing I watched it him do it on stage by himself um, I watched it you know every stage coming up and then watching it in the studio my favorite one's Mountain Queen on, on that album it's just, it's beautiful. It's got a lot of meaning to it to me. And uh, it's about right here. It's about, it's about home. It's about, you know, if, if I could have sat down and thought up the perfect love situation in life, um, I, I'm a, I would put on like the, the biggest macho act in the world. And I'm soft as cotton. I'll tell you right straight up. Uh, that song... That song speaks a lot to me, and you know it's it's about how real love should actually be. And it, and you go to Betty Baxter, he he and Leanna read a book, and there was 
two lines in that book about Betty Baxter being the first Mountain Laurel Queen, and that story came about, you know, about her meeting her husband and him loving her all the way through the end, and it just yeah, it's, I went through about six versions. First, she was going to be in the war and fighting and in World War Two, and uh, every it went through several different versions. Uh, I think it's going to be cool to play that one in Blanc Cove because so the Civilian Conservation Corps built Blanc Cove was her being the first. I'm gonna say that it it wasn't either. It was either not built yet, or it was the first queen coronation that they had there. So that's gonna be pretty cool class. Uh, you mentioned Laurel Cove. I mean, we just watched some rehearsals. Uh, you know, got a sneak peek there. Uh, so just kind of talk about these upcoming festival shows and and what people can expect. Some good times. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm looking for Last year, Laurel Cove was fun, but you know, we didn't know anybody. We didn't know any of the artists, or you know, we didn't know a lot of people. And this past year, we've, we've done a lot of networking, met a lot of people, became good friends with a lot of people. So I am like, this year is going to be fun. I think we're going to have a great time. And, uh, but yeah, especially now that we've got, you know, some other extremely talented, far more talented musicians than I will ever be up there on, going to be on stage with us, man. It's, uh, we'll have John Looney on mandolin. Uh, he played with J.R. Miller and probably a whole host of other people. And we've got uh, Roddy Puck who's going to be playing bass. We've got Anna Blanton. He, Roddy's awesome. Uh, and Anna Blanton, we, we, me and Anna's been playing a lot of shows together here lately. She, uh, she come on for the Cavern show and then we've been playing some shows together here and there ever since. Uh, She's great too. She plays with Tony Logue a lot. She used to play with the Coco Wall. So uh, it was kind of funny with the Anna Blanton thing. That, that came out of the blue, and she told this story in Darien to a group of people when I was listening to her, and I kind of got tickled. She said, uh, "She said I hadn't really listened to any of Tim's music," and she said, "I saw that he was going to be playing in the caverns." And if you don't know Anna, Anna and, and Charlie are two of the best human beings on earth. Super sweet people. And uh, they do a lot of caving. Like, they, they're they really into it. And she said, I saw it pop up, and uh, he was going to play in the caverns. And she's like, who's this Tim Gooden guy? And she said, I went to search, and she's like, man, he's really good. She's like, I wonder if he let me play. So she reached out to Tim, and Tim's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it. You know, and I think uh, she played with Coda Wall, and then we're, we're fans of Tony Logue and, and stuff, so – it was a really, really easy decision to say, yeah. And then she came in the caverns, and it was the first time they'd played to have one other practice. But they come in the caverns, man. And that first sound check, that was the first time I'd heard the two together other than videos that they'd sent me. And I was just blown away, man. It was just so good. And then her harmonies and stuff, it was, it was great. Yeah, I had her harmony dynamic. And, that, and that's my favorite part, though, is all these players that we just mentioned. Is there even better people than there are musicians? Yes. And that's what's important to me because, you know, if things work out and continue to progress, you know, we'll be spending a lot of time together. And I don't want to spend time with assholes, and I'm so glad about <laughs> that. So that's, I'm looking forward to that. That's very fun. Now, I, and you may not want to share, uh, I just, I kind of overheard, you know, this, this album, you know, has a, a, a distinct feel. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, your songwriting and, and playing and, you know, you've got the food stamps. I mean, no no introduction needed, but, I mean, 
would you rather play by yourself or do you like having a band behind you? Like what, what, what do you see kind of the style of your band being if, if that's what you want to uh, go? Lean heavy bluegrass with a touch of country. That's the kind of sound I'm after. And, uh, and that was what was cool when I walked in there. They was like, what do you want? I was like, man, I want this to be a country album that feels like it's got hints of bluegrass sprinkled throughout. That's what I was after. I said, because I'll be honest, if I could play guitar better, I'd probably be a full-time bluegrass musician. I just can't play guitar good enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's that's the, because I feel like you, I heard Loretta Lynn say one time, you either got to be first, you got to be best, or you got to be different. And I'm not first at anything, and I'm definitely not going to be the best at anything, so I can be different. And, you know, the, the, the bluegrass with a little bit of country mixed in, I feel like is a sound that's, not out there on a, on a big scale, so I figured, and that's kind of my sweet spots, and that's the kind of music I like to make, so that's where I'm gonna be. As far as playing with a band, it just depends on the venue, I guess, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I love having a band. I think it adds a lot of dynamic to a show, so I'm looking forward to playing with those, those guys. It just popped in my head when he's talking about playing bluegrass. I remember when Sturgill done the, the two bluegrass albums, Cutting Grass albums. I remember him saying, well, I'm going to go from stadiums to gravel lots and porta johns. <laughs> you know, I, I thought that was really, really cool. It's just always stuck out in my mind. But uh, that, that's, I think me and Tim have a lot in common with that. That's, uh, that's what I grew up on, too, bluegrass. And, and that's one of the reasons why I like his voice is he's got that, he's got that high, lonesome sound, man. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I really, I, I, I dug it from the first time I heard it. I mean, you got Roddy, Roddy, who's, uh, you know, legendary Kentucky bluegrass band, the Wooks, Wolfpin Branch. Um, I mean, you don't get much, much better bluegrass in. in and I'll follow up when Jason said, "Hey, man, Roddy said we play with you." I'm like, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and and John can play. I mean, he can play about anything. Yeah. Uh, and you know, just kind of going back, I mean. There's a there's a video Facebook video out there. What you said, 1.3 million views uh, of what Pills, song? Pills and poverty. Pills and poverty from Festival of the Red last mm-hmm. year, and uh, John hopped in. Had he heard the song before? No, or I don't, I hopped never, in, and I mean, you, we were sitting back there. There was a line on us because uh, Sam at Fat Cave Studios. I mean, it was it was awesome what he's doing. He was you know making some really high quality videos. He wasn't charging the artists a dime. us to come back there and there was a line there's seven or eight musicians back there what you know waiting to make a video and uh we was sitting there and Jason was like hey man you want me to ask John if he'll play on this movie I'm like sure and he did and so we ran through the first verse of Fields of Poverty and then we went and recorded the that, that video first take and I'm like well that works <laughs> the whole time we was making a video I was like do not be <laughs> so we, me and Leanna were standing there in the back just watching it and there wasn't a sound at all only thing you could hear was Tim and John playing the creek you could hear a few little birds chirping and stuff in the background everybody completely went silent and I never will forget it when they got done Sam only thing that I heard Sam said damn <laughs> and that was all I heard. It was that good. It was so phenomenal. Yeah, it just kind of—that's been this whole year, man. Things just kind of worked out, you know. That's—I'm—that's why I think I'm in peace with 
it's where we're at and where we're headed, where I think we're headed. And, uh, you know, things work out how they're supposed to. I'm a firm believer in that. So I think that, uh, you know, just keep doing what we think is right and, and see where it takes us. may not take us anywhere, but it's been fun to go. <laughs> well, uh, you, the path that you've taken is admirable. I mean, the independent music route, I mean, uh, you know, doing things your way, doing it how you want to do it is awesome all right so finishing off i've got a couple of just quick questions um first concert you ever attended uh, first one i can remember attending is uh buddy jewel he uh he won nashville star or mm-hmm. something like that Morant's where Miranda Lambert got her start too but buddy jewel won that year and he played at the mountain Law festival at the bell high uh gymnasium mm-hmm. I remember going to it, and he put on a dang good show, man. I was a fan, and uh, man, that's so cool. I want to do that. You know, I was like, that is so cool, man. And he started following me on Instagram there about a month or two ago. I was like, man, that's, that's kind of a full circle moment, you know. I'm going to open this up to Jason, too. First one. Okay. First show. Uh, my first show ever, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. I saw Jerry Lee at Tombstone Junction. It was Jerry Lee and Mickey Gilly. And I, I've i got the worst memory. Me and Tim talk all the time about having bad memories. And I don't remember much, but I can remember that show like it was yesterday. It was it was just a phenomenal show. I didn't know that Jerry Lee Lewis and Mickey Gilly were cousins. cousins yeah. I did not know that. And I watched something on Mickey Gilly there a couple weekends ago. I'm a bad documentary. I don't watch any documentary on anything. And I say now, I'm like, man, that's cool. I didn't know it, that. <laughs> what was it? It was Jerry Lee... Mickey Gillen, was it Jimmy Swagger? It was one of the yeah. televangelists. That yeah. They were all three first cousins. First cousins. Huh. Well, my first concert was Tex Turner Arena, Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, no way, happy birthday. I was, which I was four or five, so I, I was a big breaky, breaky heart fan. I sang it. <laughs> uh, I had a cassette. I made mom and dad wear it. Sang it. I thought that was the coolest thing yeah, it was. I remember getting mad because I, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus was a Kentucky boy, and I remember getting mad when Brooks and Dunn's boot scooting boogie knocked it out of the number one position. I was like, that's not right, man. That's not right. <laughs> and now, which I mean, not taking anything away from Billy Ray, but now that style is more the music that I would listen to than, than Aki Breaky, but, you know. And actually, I think Brooks and Dunn at Tex Turner was probably my second one. Really? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, good run there, didn't yeah. you? Brooks and Dunn, yeah. I saw, I saw them. I saw them open for Reba at, uh, in Knoxville uh, at UT, there at UT, and then, uh, but yeah, Brooks and Dunn, I can't remember who opened for them, um, but yeah, Tex Turner Arena, he used to have some, some bangers. That's really good show. Um, What's Ralph Stanley there? Ralph Stanley, that was a great show. Oh, man. Uh, Big Ralph Stanley fan. The, the, uh, which I saw Ralph Stanley several times. But probably the one that that's, that will always be my favorite was Merle Haggard. That was the one that I thought that I would never get to see. Uh, Waylon, I regret not seeing him. Got to see Merle Haggard. And well, I'll tell you somebody that if the opportunity ever comes up, I will not charge a dime to play it. I would love to open up with John Farnham. I am a huge John Farnham fan. And surprisingly, he does rose-colored glasses. And it sounds just like John Conley. And I've had a lot of people that says, man, 
I've never ever heard anybody can do John Conley and said, you know, that's just blown her mind. And when we were the cool thing, he sound checked at one of the, yeah. So, so uh, we we were at uh, in Illinois at the show with Steel Woods and Brad Gaines that does their uh, sound and stuff is absolutely phenomenal. Probably the hardest working person I know in the music industry. Uh, Brad. Uh, Tim sound check with rose colored glasses, and after he's over, after it was over, with Tim was sitting over there, and he came over and he's like, "Hey man," he said, uh, "You killed that song." He said, uh, "A lot of people don't know this." He said, "But my dad was a co-writer on that song," and he was talking, and he's like, "Don't take my word for it. Look it, look it up, and told us his dad's name." And, you know, I believed him, but you know, he insisted. I looked it up, and sure enough, his dad was the co-writer on rose colored glasses. Yes, so. That, that don't make him better than Brad Gaines. Every interaction I've had with him, yeah, I agree with you. He's he's the, one of the hardest working men in the music industry, for From sure. From the time that he starts setting the equipment up to the time that the bus rolls out, he's never still. He, through the whole time, the whole eight shows, they would have to beg him to sit down and eat. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, it just blows my mind. Favorite concert. Southeast campus at that time, and uh, I remember his bus getting stuck. But I just remember he's a great singer, and don't get me wrong, I love his music and I'm a big fan of his music. But it was his talking in between where he really entertained the crowd like that really drew me in. Like, man, that's cool to be able to just hold the whole crowd in your hand and just take them where you want to go. You know, that's, that, that I want to do that. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, my mine will be the Merle Haggard show. Uh, so me and my son went to uh, Tennessee Theater and saw Merle Haggard, and it was right at the end of, of his career. And it was actually the last full show that he'd done. The next show he was supposed to be in at Harris Casino with Willie. They were kicking off the Django and, J- and Jimmy tour, and he couldn't do it. And I think the very last show he came on stage, done two songs, and Toby Keith finished that set. So it was the last full show that he done. And his he couldn't hit the high notes anymore. But it was it was still the hag man. But he played that guitar like a sixteen year old kid, man. Like there was nothing wrong with his dexterity. He just melted that guitar the whole time. And I sat there, I had cold chills all over me and I had tears running dripping watching him. It was just by far my favorite show I've ever seen. What artists would you say has had the greatest impact on you? Oh, that's a long list. Uh, Travis Tritt's been a, a big influence musically. Uh, Chris Knight. Chris Knight's the reason I write what I do. Because I remember an interview he did one time that said, because I was stuck in, uh, it's got to have a first course, verse, bridge, chorus. I, that's I, I thought that's how you had to write a song. I couldn't write a damn song like that to save my life. I thought, well, I'm never going to do a song right. And then I seen an interview with Chris Knight. He said, listen, he said, it's my song. I can do whatever the hell I want with it. I can write a hell of a long If I want to write a song and don't have a chorus one in it, that's what I'll do. And ever since I heard him say that, it freed my mind up to say, you know what? 
there is no set pattern. It is what it is, and however it comes out is how it's supposed to be, and that's how. And so since then, like, as soon as I read those words or heard, I can't remember if it was a video or I read it somewhere, but as soon as I, I came across that, it just freed my mind to say, all right, here's how I'm going to do it. And then that's why if you listen to most of my songs, the majority of them don't have a chorus. Uh, Weather and War is the first song I ever wrote that's got a bridge. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I really impressed myself. Get fancy. <laughs> what song do you wish you wrote? Wow, that's an even longer list. Uh, I wish I wrote In Color. Jamie Johnson. Love that song. That's one of my favorite songs. Uh, Rose Colored Glasses is a great song. He Stopped Loving Her Day is, in my opinion, the greatest country song ever to be written. Uh, so, yeah. I, mean, I could... I, we could do a whole podcast just on that. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> uh, dream venue. Uh, I've got three, and, uh, and they're in this order. I want to play Run Crow Valley. I want to play the Ryman, and I want to play Red Rock. That's the three. And I, I, I would hope that I'm there for every one of them. <laughs> uh, uh, you will be. Uh, if we go, you guys – uh, it, you've heard the old saying, it takes a village, and I didn't really realize that until I started doing this. Yeah, well, me and Leo was talking about that the other night. And we've got so many people, like, I felt guilty not going into a name list on the inside of the album cover, but I was like, man, God forbid I forget one person. I would feel like crap for every time I seen them, and I was like, yeah. So, I mean, that's everybody we've met, man. Everybody's been so kind to us and helped us out in every way that they can, and it's just, it's been a fun year. Before I make decisions on things, a lot of times, you know, of course I'm going to talk to Daniel and Josh um, because, you know, they're part of the farm. Um, I go to them with everything. Uh, Shane Cook, I talk to Shane quite a bit. Chris Lowe, um, those are the ones that I normally reach out to. Uh, the probably the biggest one that I talk to about things is John Grace. I go with John. I know he gets tired. He probably every time he looks at my at his phone and sees my name pop up, I don't know why he don't hit the client. <laughs> uh, text messages and stuff that that I send him and, and he talks to me. He called me the other night. It was like one thirty in the morning. I was laying. And I think he called a few other people too that night and. But uh, he's having a good night, and uh, um, he called me. We talked for probably about thirty minutes. He had some really good ideas about some stuff with Tim, and some. So we we talked a lot, and then uh, one person I want to mention a lot uh, is Chad and Jesse with Ridge and Holly. Those folks from the get go. Um, I was trying to find something, you know, for some some kind of merch. And so I reached out to Chad and I was like, hey, you know, we're going to do this thing. You know, can you can you do something for me? And I'd met Chad a year or so before through music. And he said, yeah, he's like, uh, let me listen to him. And he listened to Tim's stuff. And he gets all his inspiration from the music, what he hears, what he sees, what he feels. And so he come up with the Colmeyer shirt, which is actually looks how he came up with it blows my mind because it looks like a skeleton, but it's a bank cap, minor minor helmet, bank cap, 
is what it was, but it was made it to look like a skeleton, and then the wording is different. How you so we done a run, what was 25 or 50? Yeah, we, we done, there's only 50 of them in existence. We done 50 of those shirts, and now, uh, if people wear that shirt to the venue, you know, and they come up and they're wearing that shirt, you know, we kind of made a deal that, you know, we're going to give them something for the merch sale because they followed us when, when we were getting started. But then he, uh, uh, Jess Bowman drew the cover for um, Son of Appalachia, and then he put them on shirts and, and stuff for us, and then Absolutely. She's been great. She's been, she was the only one that gave us any kind of press on South Appalachia. Mm-hmm. And she has helped us out a lot, too. You know? There's just so, there's so many people that just help us and, out. And, and I go to Jess a lot of stuff. As far as media and stuff, I go to Jess a lot. Tim Parks, Tim Parks mm-hmm. gave, gave a show um, with Chris Knight. With Chris Knight. He, and Corduroy Brown. Yep. Mm-hmm. After that oh, Corduroy. If y'all don't know Corduroy, look him up. Check him out. Uh, Corduroy is just an amazing human being as a whole. He's come to some of his shows. I talk to Corduroy a lot. I love him dearly. Um, but, yeah, there's there's been so many people. That Laurel Cove group, though, man, th- those are my people. They, they're the ones day in, day out that always have my back and always give me unbiased opinions about things and you know, uh, Blake sometimes he cuts you a little deep, but you know, I mean, it's just Blake, so but but yeah, it's just it's just it, it's took a village, man, and it's paid off. All right. Any parting words? Come to the show, come see me live and um, yeah, stream music, tell everybody you know about it. That's how we turn it into a living. The the music. The album's always good, but Tim's one of the few artists that I've heard. He's much better live than he is on, on the album. I sound like crap recorded. I always have. I don't know why. Sometimes I sound like crap live, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> just, just depends on how the night before went, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he never he never forgets any of the lyrics. Yeah, so. never. No, that's never happened. <laughs> that's at least once a show. If it don't happen during the show, I'm really shocked at the end of the show. I'll tell you that. I don't, I don't see how, I don't, I don't see how you do it. Like I, I try to play a little bit, and, and there's no way, there's no way. I mean, you don't realize how hard of a job it is until well, you try to play and sing. Is, see, my problem is, is I, like I said, I got ADHD, so I'll be right in the middle of a song, and I'll be thinking about that dog over there walking, and totally forget where I'm at. Man, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned to recover well from that. I'll make a joke or something usually. Uh, I remember. He played at uh, the listening room there at the Heritage uh, Center, or Heritage Series that Jessica Blankenship does there in London. I never will forget it. Uh, we were opening for uh, Nick Jamerson. And I don't remember what song it was. High Note. I yep, it's High Note. And Tim gets into it and just completely just loses lyrics. And he looks at Leanna and goes, what's the lyrics of the song? And she tells him, and like everybody just hushes. He's like, 
it's not that serious, guys. And he just starts laughing, and everybody. So he he found a way that that when it when it happens, he turns it into a joke, and then everybody laughs, and it's it's a good time. Screwed up two more times <laughs> that night. Same time. Yeah, I like. Uh, well, the other night, well, it was uh, it was Sad Bird. Was it Sad Bird? Yeah. And you mm-hmm. said, Leanna, what's the lyric? And she said, the lyric. You said, no, that's not the right one. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it takes a village. It does. It does. All right, guys, thank you all very much. Uh, hope to get this out here by the end of the week. And, and Appreciate you having us, man. Yeah. It's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a good – I like thinking back on everything that happened so far. It's great. It's fun. All right, be careful, guys. Thank you, man.